Thanks, Richard. I hope all of you are paying attention because we are about to throw some announcements your way. Are you wondering what all those tables are out in the lobby? Well, today is rally day. If you're looking to get plugged in and find a growth group, join us out here right after service to find your group. Life can only get better when we are together. We hope you can join us. On January 28th, the Foundation Young Adults will be meeting at Stars and Strikes for Unlimited Bowling Night. You can find the address below and bowling will be $10. You will also need to bring extra money with you if you would like to eat. Don't hesitate to invite a friend and we hope you can join us for this evening of fun. Red Carpet Night is coming up on February 1st. In order to prepare for this wonderful event, we are asking for you to please register to attend. Think of this as your RSVP. You can either visit our church website or the Connections desk to let us know if you will be a part of this night as we honor our volunteers here at Church on the Trail. The 412 Student Ministry will be having a Super Bowl party on Sunday, February 2nd from 6.30 to 9.30. We'll watch the game on the big screen, have some fun games, and delicious Super Bowl-worthy snacks. We hope every middle schooler and high schooler will be there to join us. The Grove and Trailblazers monthly meetings are coming up on February 6th at 6.30. If you're a man or a woman who is searching to get connected and experience life with others around you, please don't hesitate to join one of these ministries. We were not created to do life alone. If you missed any of those announcements, feel free to come ask any questions at our Connections desk. We hope you enjoy the service. Hey, good morning, y'all. It's a great day to be here. It's crisp and cool outside. I'm so thankful that y'all are here. And again, Richard said a minute ago, but if this is your first time here, we're super excited that you're here. It's not some random thing that any of us are here. God's got us here for a reason this morning. Uh, he got you up and got you here for a reason. Did y'all notice the old school Kansas City Chiefs logo? On it? No? Okay. It was an old school Kansas City Chiefs logo. Anyway, um, I want to say... One little thing before we get started this morning, maybe two. Um, Marion mentioned the the uh, the night Saturday night, the party that we're having uh, Saturday night, the red carpet event thing. Uh, and I really, really want to encourage y'all to come to that. We're going to have dinner. It's going to be a great night of fellowship, of getting together, of just thanking the people that, uh, that those of y'all that serve and just exposing everybody here to different kind of ministry opportunities that we have. Um, and I want to encourage you to register so that we can better, uh, so that we can better prepare food-wise. Uh, so I really, really want everybody to be here Saturday night. And then I want to call your attention, a couple things that she mentioned had to do with growth groups. And we have uh, at Church on the Trail, and we've done this for a few years, we have different types of growth groups, and one of the types is called signature groups, and they're, um, they're really things that we feel very are very important. The, the materials are vetted extremely well. We pour time and resources in them. This, uh, at this time, we've got two signature groups going uh, that are beginning here in the next week or so. One of them, uh, Lynn and Heather Ornstein are facilitating. It's called Kingdom Marriage. It's a Tony Evans study, Bible study, get-together growth group on marriage. And I would encourage anybody that really, and it's not even just for married couples, it's marrieds and singles, 
great Bible study. And then Stephen Armstrong is doing financial peace, which is an incredible stewardship. Uh, Dave Ramsey is the author of Financial Peace, and, and Stephen Armstrong is facilitating that. And I encourage y'all to jump into any growth group, but those are two that I just wanted to highlight a little bit. So here we are, y'all, in week four of a series about following Jesus that we're calling Not a Fan. You see it on the screen, Not a Fan. Last week, we began looking at Jesus' words in, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third uh, book in the New Testament, it's the third gospel uh, in chapter 9 of Luke in verse 23, they're Jesus' words. They're words that uh, are recorded in Matthew and Mark as well in Luke, so in three of the four gospels. These words in Luke 9, 23 are his, these are his, this is his invitation for us to follow him. And he said, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Last week, we really picked apart the first two words in that verse, if anyone, if anyone. Uh, we spent 30 minutes talking about if anyone. And we landed, last week, we landed on the, on the fact that when Jesus says anyone, he means anyone. And he means anyone regardless of the anyone's past. He means that he provides freedom from a past, I don't know, a past of lying or a past of, of habitually gossiping, or, or a past of covetousness. Whatever, whatever it may be, whatever that past is, he provides freedom from that. If you're one of these that are always looking at what your friends have, and you want what they have, you covet what they have, seems like they're always on vacation, they're in Hawaii, or they're in Europe, uh, he provides a, a freedom from a past of that, that jealousy and that covetousness. Because if you obsess over that, it's going to get all up in the middle of that relationship with the Lord. Now, today I want us to move a little further in this verse in Luke 9.23. I want us to look at the next part of it. If anyone would come after me. If, any, if anyone would come after me. So, this verse begins, you know, again with an open invitation. If anyone. Well, if anyone what? If anyone would come after me. That language that Luke uses uh, there is like uh, he's describing a passionate pursuit of someone you love. It's that kind of language. It's you passionately pursuing someone that you love. It's a stop at nothing kind of pursuit. And we got to understand that Jesus wants us to pursue him. He wants us to pursue him a thousand percent, y'all. With every single thing that we've got, he wants us to pursue him. In Matthew the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 13, Jesus gives us a short parable. There's three or four parables in Matthew 13, and this is a very short one. In fact, it's one verse, verse 44. In my, my Bible, the little heading says the, uh, the parable of the hidden treasure. So it's Matthew 13, 44. And here's what it says. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Lots of parables begin with, that's the way Jesus taught them. The kingdom of heaven is like something. And so here he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. So here Jesus is telling us about this worker dude who stumbles, he's plowing the field, I don't know, he's doing something in the field, and he stumbles onto some buried treasure. He finds some buried treasure. And it was common in that day, in that ancient day, that if a guy 
owned this land, whatever land, half an acre, acre, doesn't matter what it is, but it was common if he was going off to fight that he would bury his treasure in his field just really to protect it, that nobody would rob it or steal, you know, take it, or if raiding troops would come in, they wouldn't get his stuff, and so it was common that he would bury it in the field. So this worker guy uh, is, is doing whatever he's doing in this field, and, and it was you know, if, if, no, if the guy went off and, and got killed, that treasure could have been there, you know, 100 years. Who knows? And so this guy finds it, this treasure chest, and he pops the top, takes the top off this treasure chest, and he can't believe his eyes, y'all. It's, it's thousands of dollars of precious gems and rubies and, and stones and whatever, and they're glimmering in the, in the sunlight, and his heart is racing. He's got this treasure. And so he quickly, he reburies that treasure, and he keeps on working. And the whole time, he's sitting there thinking about what to do. What to do. And he's like, he is passionate and desperate to buy that field so that that treasure that he found will be his. That night, he hops online and he logs into E-Trade, right? And he liquidates all of his accounts. And he gets on Facebook Marketplace and he puts his truck on Marketplace, right? And he sells everything. Man, he sells he sells his oxen. I've kind of mixed two time periods. But he sells his oxen. He sells every single thing that he has got. Everything. His family thinks he's lost his mind. His family thinks that he's, that he's just kind of gone bonkers. That it doesn't make any sense. But the truth is this. It's the best investment that he could possibly make. To get rid of everything he's got for the treasure that he found in that field. Y'all, when me and you... When we find, sometimes we stumble upon it, right? When we find the life that we can have in Jesus, when we find the treasure that he really is, when this light bulb at some point kind of goes off on top of our head, we are to come after him the same way that that man pursued buying that field. Fans will be very careful not to get carried away. Followers understand that following Jesus is a pursuit that just may cost them everything. My dad said to me 18 years ago, why do you have to always talk about Jesus? Like, why has why it always got to be like that? He thought I had lost my mind. He thought I had gone bonkers. Anybody ever read a book? The name of the book is Jesus Freaks. It's a great book. Followers are Jesus freaks. Fans are not. It just may cost you everything. But it is the best investment that you could ever make. Followers will do some crazy things for love. Fans want to play it safe. And it's funny, y'all, how fans think sometimes. Fans think that if they go all in for Jesus, that they're going to miss out on all the fun. Fans want to just have enough of the pleasure without feeling even without the potential of feeling any pain. They want to, if fans want to enjoy what is available to them without having to sacrifice anything for it. Instead of come after, fans hold back. And, and y'all, it's not that, that fans don't want a relationship with Jesus. They do. I mean, they do. They just don't want it to cost them anything. Go back to this romance thingy that I said a minute ago. It's like a man and a woman who've been dating. 
Things are getting pretty serious. She wants to get married. He loves her, no doubt. He loves her, and he doesn't want to lose her. But he doesn't want to get married. He's afraid that if he makes that, the, that kind of a commitment, that it's going to require too, too much of him, or somehow that he's going to miss out on something better. So he makes this suggestion. He says, hey, why don't we move in together? Translated, how about I get all the benefits of marriage without having to make any of the commitments and sacrifices? That's the approach fans take. That's the approach fans take to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, how about we just kind of move in together a little bit? That's not what he would have for us. Those are the kinds of things that fans say in their prayers maybe even to Jesus. They say, I'm for you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Just as long as things are, are good and you're keeping your end of the bargain up. I'll follow you, Jesus, as long as you don't ask too much of me. Sometimes it's as long as you don't ask anything of me. Y'all, often we are so scared to pursue him passionately with everything we've got because we know that if we make a commitment like that, we're putting ourselves on the line, and we don't want to put ourselves on the line. It'll require our time. It'll require some energy. It'll require some brain space. It'll require some dollars. In the parable of the hidden treasure in, in, in Matthew 13, 44, when the man realizes what he'd found, what did he do? What does the text say? The text says, then in his joy. It doesn't say in his sorrowness. It says in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field sacrificing everything that he had, right? He went into E-Trade and he sold all of his stuff. Sacrificing everything that he had, all of that for the treasure brought him great joy, the text says, because he knew that he knew that he knew that he knew that that, that treasure was worth it. So Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, and that is a passionate pursuit. All right, let's move on. Anybody, any of y'all ever know a guy or know the guy who wants to start training? He wants to start working out. He wants to start running. He wants to get into shape, right? But every day on the way to the gym, I stop by the, I mean, he stops by the Dairy Queen and he gets an Oreo blizzard. He polishes that blizzard off in the parking lot. And then, and then I go inside, no, and then he goes inside. But look, the reality is this. He wants to get in shape, but he's not willing to make any personal sacrifices. Here's the reality, and this is one of our, uh, one of our vow shared values at Church on the Trail. The essence of sacrifice is giving up something that you love for giving up for, for something that you love more. Giving up something that you love for something that you love more. Sacrificing something that you love for something that you love more. It's not a sacrifice if the thing that you're giving up you don't care about. Duh. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Sacrifice. When you sacrifice something, it's something that you care about. But look, that's the way that a fan is going to try to follow Jesus. A fan will try to accept the invitation of Christ to follow, but they absolutely don't want to say no to themselves about anything. And Jesus makes it clear, crystal clear to us, that a casual no strings attached arrangement is not on the table. If anyone would come after me, 
Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That's what the text says, let him deny himself. And I want us to spend some time on those four words. Y'all, it is impossible, impossible to come after Jesus without denying yourself. That phrase that's used there, deny yourself, it isn't just the idea of saying no to yourself. It's not even just the idea of, of, of resisting yourself. There's, it's more than that. Eronome is the Greek word. Eronome is the Greek word that's, that's translated here, deny. And it means to turn someone off. It means to refuse association or companionship. It, it means to disown. And the one who is disowned or denied is myself right? It's myself. Let him deny himself. And that means self altogether. It doesn't mean some little part, some little component, some special uh, habit, some desire, some outward practice. It's like you don't even acknowledge your own existence. How in the world, in the, in the world that we live in, in a, in a culture that is screaming at us, it's all about you, it's all about you, how do you deny yourself? And that's a difficult concept, particularly in the world and the times that we live today. Matthew chapter 19, we meet a man commonly known as the rich young ruler or the rich young man, depending on what your Bible says. Okay, Matthew 19. So I want you to imagine that this rich young ruler guy is Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg. Dude's 35 years old. For years and years, he, he said he was an atheist. I don't know if he is or if he isn't, but for years and years, he said he's an atheist. Today, he's worth $85 billion. Like, that's an unfathomable amount of money. Zuckerberg, he's worth $85 billion. Million dollars, billion dollars. Zuckerberg's followed a path that has led him to massive wealth and power which ironically enough is the path that many, many people, most of us probably, are trying to find. And so he comes to Jesus with a question. You picture Zuckerberg riding up on a camel, a Tesla camel, but a camel nonetheless, and he dismounts, and then in, in verse 16, Zuckerberg says to Jesus, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He ain't being a jerk, y'all. It's not, it's a legit question. Like, it's a totally legit question. What have I got to do? I want to get into heaven. What, just tell me what to do. I want to know what to do. You tell me what to do. He's saying, Jesus, tell me what to do. Now, I will say this. That question, the very nature of the way the question is asked, really does reveal the heart and soul of a fan. Because he says, what good deed must I do? What must I do to get into heaven? What have I got to do? Zuckerberg's wealth came from doing. It came from creating. It came from acquiring. So very simply, he says, what needs to be done? I want in, you tell me what needs to be done. And they go back and forth for a minute about keeping all the commandments. And apparently, this guy in Matthew 19, apparently he has kept all the commandments. And so he says to Jesus, what else you got for me to do? What else is it that I need to do? And then verse 21, Jesus says this, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So Jesus invites this man to become his follower. But first he says, go sell everything and give to the poor. 85 billion worth of everything 
sell it all and give to the poor. And here's the dilemma. Y'all, he's faced with a choice of following Jesus or keeping his stuff. But he couldn't do both. There's no way to follow Jesus without denying himself. Everybody wants to make this story about the money. This story's not about the money. It's not about the money. It's about Jesus. It's not about the money. It's about following Jesus. I don't know what your stuff is, right? For this guy, it is, it is his money. He can follow a path. There's a fork in the road, right? He can follow a path that leads to money, or he can follow Jesus, but he can't follow both. So what does all of that mean for me and you? Is selling everything a requirement to follow Jesus? Well, I don't know. I mean, it may be for you if that's the stuff. It, I mean, it may be. But I don't know. I, but here's what I do know. I know that everybody, 100% of the people who follow Jesus will find themselves at some point at a similar kind of fork in the road as this guy in Matthew 19. I just don't know what your stuff is. I know what my stuff is, but I don't know what your stuff is. You won't be able to take the path of following Jesus without walking away from another path. That's a big principle, y'all. You cannot take the path of following Jesus without denying yourself, without giving up some other path. This guy wanted to follow Jesus. He did. But when he was forced to choose between Jesus and his stuff, he chose his stuff. He wouldn't deny himself. And again, I don't know what your stuff is. His stuff was $85 billion. I don't know what it is. So at some point, what's your choice going to be? What's the choice going to be? It could be, in his case, it's money. It could be relationship. It could be family. It could be greed. It could be, I don't know. It could be all kind of stuff. But it's going to cost you something. Something's got to, there's a price there somehow. It may be a huge price. For me, it was a relationship with my family for years and years and years of being disowned. So that, that, was, that was mine. Summer of 2011, my oldest son, Zach, is in Africa for a month or so doing mission work. They're living in a tent in the bush in Zambia for four or five weeks. That's a, a picture of one, the, one of the first villages that they went into. And this was deep in the bush um, in, in Zambia. This was very primitive areas. Their job, their team's job, was simply to share Christ, to share the gospel. And they were in a place where the truth of the matter is, those people had never heard the gospel. They had never been exposed to the gospel. You would go, you know, they would go three hours into the bush, and the, and the people he was with said, you're going back 500 years in time. These people had never seen a white person in their lives. One of the, the girls that Zach was with, his best buddy, Becca Lee, has long blonde hair. Uh, there are so many pictures of these little kids just enamored with her blonde hair because they'd never seen blonde hair before. So this is in a very primitive culture <clears throat> where they were. So they came and set up camp in one of these villages. Right on the outskirts of this village that that picture is from, um, there was almost like, a, and we're talking, I'm not talking about a city, I'm talking about a village that had maybe a couple hundred people in it. At the, Kind of at the front of it, there was this little uh, compound, this little enclave of huts. But it was this little enclave, and, and there was a witch doctor 
that was there. A very powerful dude in, in that culture or in that little village. Uh, it was a witch doctor and all his little witch doctor disciple people, families. And they all lived there together, but they were all disciples of this witch doctor. And the disciples wore little bracelets that had uh, charms and animal teeth on them. And those bracelets identified them as a disciple of this witch doctor guy. And so they all lived together, tight-knit little community at the front of this village. And so on this night, when they set this, tent, this camp up, as they're walking in, and you can't see it, but on, in one of those stools was this little old witch doctor disciple lady who Zach said when they walked in the, into this village as they were setting it up, he looked in her eyes and the hair on his arms and neck stood up that there was nothing there. He said, I looked in her eyes. He said, Daddy, I've never been scared of anything. Um, and she scared me that there was just, there was emptiness there. And so uh, that night, that first night that they were in that village, that woman spent all night walking around their tents chanting some crazy stuff. So that's the environment that they're in. And all of her family, witch doctor disciple, all of them. A couple days later, one of her sisters gets saved. What you reckon happened to that woman that got saved? They, she lost everything she had. She lost uh, all of the relationships with her little witch doctor disciple family people. Anything that she had physically, materially, she lost it all. And don't you know that she knew that she would be banished? She knew that she would be uh, excommunicated from the little witch doctor family enclave place. But she chose Jesus over family. She chose Jesus over tribe. She chose Jesus over her stuff that she had, whatever stuff she had. She chose Jesus over the the level of comfort that she had in the relationships with those people. Y'all fans don't do that. Followers are willing to deny themselves and say, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus over my family. I choose Jesus over money. I choose Jesus over career goals. I am his completely 1,000%. I choose Jesus over getting drunk. I choose Jesus over jealousy. I choose Jesus over greed. I choose Jesus over a a redecorated house. I choose Jesus over my freedom. I choose Jesus over what other people may think about me. A follower makes a decision every single day to deny himself and choose Christ, even if that cost him everything he's got. It's going to cost something, y'all. Today I want you in that worship guide, and if you don't have a worship guide, I really want you to get your hand up. We need to get one in your hands. But you'll have one of the fill in the blanks says, I choose Jesus over blank. I ain't giving you the, the thing to fill in there because everybody's is different. But I want you to write in that blank, what is it today that you choose Jesus over? Whatever it is. Whatever it is, I want you to write that in that blank. And we're going to come back to that in just a little while. Y'all, one way fans try to follow Jesus without denying self is by creating some, some no-access areas in their life. In, in their mind, they've like negotiated the terms of the deal. Jesus, you can have this, but you can't have that. I'll follow you. I love you, Jesus. I'll follow you, but I ain't selling my possessions. Jesus, I love you, and I, and I'm, and, and I'm, I want to follow you. I'm going to follow you, 
but don't you ask me to forgive him because he don't deserve forgiveness. Don't you ask me, I love you, Jesus, but don't you ask me to forgive her because you don't know what she did, and I ain't doing it. I love you, Jesus, but don't you ask me to save sex for marriage because you're the one that made me, and I've got these desires. I love you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you, but don't you ask me to give a percentage of my money to the church because I work hard for that cash, and I ain't doing it. They followed Jesus, but, but just not with every area of their lives, right? George Barna. You've ever heard of George Barna? Dan Womack's heard of George Barna because he's a researcher. Barna's a Christian researcher, author in a book in 2007. The name of the book is Unchristian. And he notes in this book that 65% of Americans 18 to 42 years old, 65% of 18 to 42 year olds, have made, quote, a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important. Okay, that sounds pretty good. 65% have made a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important. How many of those are followers? I would question that. Because research shows that only 23% of the 65% believe that sex outside of marriage is wrong. Only 13% of that 65% said getting drunk is a sin. And the list goes on and on. In other words, 65% say they're committed to Jesus, but most of them aren't committed to him in every area of their life. And Jesus doesn't provide y'all for selective commitment. He doesn't. He doesn't require perfection either. There's a balancing act there. You and I, like, we don't get to, to say... We don't get to say, I follow Jesus, but when it comes to this area of my life, I'm going to do it my way. We, we don't get to do that. That is selective commitment. If I call myself a Christian, by very definition, I'm committing to following Christ in every area of my life. And it does not mean that you will follow him perfectly. Please know that I'm not saying that. I'm not. We will fail, and we will fail often, but we don't move the bar down so that we can meet the bar. That's not what we do. The bar, y'all, is where the bar is. And we will fail. And we will be imperfect. Often we will be imperfect. Right? One of the values, another value in our church is that we are imperfect people. We are imperfect people playing a role in God's perfect plan. But we will boldly admit our faults. We'll fight for authenticity. We will be authentic. And we'll refuse to check the baggage at the door. I'm not saying that we need to be perfect at all. We can't be perfect. We can't. We're going to fail all the time. You and I are, are going to fail, but you can't say, you can't. You can't say, I'm a Christian, and then refuse to follow Christ with certain stuff in your life. You can't. That's shaking your fist at God and saying, I know better than you do. You can't do that. The bar doesn't move. And you don't have to have somehow have your life somehow perfectly put together to become a Christian. That is a lie from hell that for years and years was sold to kids and young adults and people in the church. That you got to dress just so, that you got to look just so, that you got to think just so, that you got to be perfect and don't you let anybody know that something's wrong with you and that you're jacked up. Y'all, I'm jacked up. I'm telling you right now I'm jacked up. But he saved me in the middle of my jacked upness. He saved me. So you don't have to have your life knit perfectly together 
to become a Christian, but you do have to repent of your sins. You do have to repent of your sin. It's kind of like step one. I got to acknowledge and be self-aware enough that I know about my jacked upness. The problem seems to be, y'all, that many folks that identify as Christ followers, they want to be called Christians without making any sort of effort to follow Jesus. Their mindset is this, I really like this Jesus guy, but I ain't really into serving the poor. I really like this Jesus guy, I love you, but I'm really not into that whole going to church thing. I love Jesus, but I'm really not into this whole fellowship of the believers thing. Oh, and my resources, they're already spoken for. I love Jesus, but don't you ask me to save sex for marriage. I love Jesus, but if somebody ticks me off on Facebook, then I'm going to let them have it. Because that's mine, and I feel like I want to do that. And so if they make me mad, I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to strike back. I love Jesus, but don't you ask me to forgive that person that hurt me. You just don't know what they did. Following Jesus requires me to have self-awareness, right? It, it requires me to, to look at the man in the mirror and acknowledge that and confess that to him and repent of, of all of that. Following him requires total commitment, y'all. What the rich young ruler is really committed to becomes very evident when he refuses to deny himself. He wanted to say yes to, he totally wanted to say yes to following Jesus, but he wanted to do it without saying no to himself. He wanted to be close enough to Jesus to have eternal life, but not so close that it required any sort of sacrifice on his part. Most Christians probably grew up where the concept of denying yourself was not really part of the conversation. Where the message of that radic the radicalness of that decision was really unnecessary, particularly in America, particularly in the culture where we live in, where there is a collision, y'all, of Christianity and capitalism. And it has created a culture of consumers inside the church. Tons and tons of churches have become companies that are trying to attract customers. Well, how is it that they're trying to attract customers? By making their cus the customer feel comfortable and happy and fluffy and making their product, which in this case is Jesus Christ, more attractive. As if he needs us to make him more attractive, right? But that's what happens in churches. Can't you see like, like how that wrecks the invitation in the words of the scripture, in Jesus' words, how that wrecks the invitation from him to deny ourselves. The church sends the message, whatever you want, you can get it here. The invitation of Jesus is give up everything. The message of the church sounds less like deny yourself and more like you can have it your way. Think about the image of a consumer. In your mind, the image of a consumer, particularly in America. Now think about the biblical image of a follower that is painted in the New Testament. The Bible uses the word slave to describe a follower over and over in the Bible. A slave is the opposite of a consumer. A slave has no rights. A slave has no possessions to call their own. A slave doesn't get time off or get to clock out at the end of the day. A slave doesn't get to negotiate anything. The Greek word that's used there is doulos, and that is a word that is used of many of the followers of Christ. It's the word they used to introduce themselves 
in the in the in the pages of the New Testament. Second Peter, when Peter introduces himself, he doesn't say Peter, Jesus' number one best friend, and he was Jesus. He was Jesus's closest kind of guy. That's not the way he introduces himself. It says Simon Peter, a doulos, an apostle of Jesus Christ. John and Timothy and Jude all give themselves the same title. James doesn't say I'm James in the book of James at the beginning. He doesn't say James, the brother of Jesus. He says James, a doulos of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul in Romans says Paul, a doulos of Christ Jesus. For a number of different reasons in your your Bible, in your translation, probably that word says servant in the scripture. And really slave, the way we understand language, slave is the only word that should be used there. It's the only way it ought to be translated, y'all. It shows up about 130 times in the New Testament. The most literal translation is slave. That is without a doubt the way the original hearers, the original readers would have heard and read that text. In our world and understanding of language, there's a huge difference. A servant works for somebody. A slave is owned by someone. And so I bet you never said when you're coming up, when I grow up, I want to be a slave. I don't imagine anybody in this room said that. But that is what this book calls you to do. It calls you to enslave yourself. Scripture teaches all of us that our highest calling, our highest calling is to be a slave who denies himself and follows Christ. And if slave is the word that is used there as a follower, then it makes sense that Jesus is called Lord. When the New Testament uses the word Lord to describe Jesus, it's not a word of divinity. It's not a, it's not a word of godness. It's not a God word. The word is kurios, and it's a, word, it's a slavery word. Kurios is the word that is used for master or the owner of a slave. So when you call Jesus Lord, you're not, you're not confessing that he is God. That's not, that's not the word that you would use. It's, it's, it, you're not saying he's the teacher and I'm the student. Here's what you're saying. When I call him Lord, I'm saying he is the master and I am the slave. That is what it means to deny yourself. Slavery in our understanding is forced servitude. In this case, it's not that. It's entered into willingly. He invites you to be a slave. He invites you to deny yourself. So out of love, and it's all, y'all, it's all out of love. Out of love, we become a slave to Jesus because he loves us. One of the very greatest, um, the greatest motivations of our willingness to enslave ourselves to Christ is to have a better understanding of how great his love is for us. Being loved causes us to love. John, the Apostle John, wrote in 1 John in chapter 4, we love him, simple words, because he first loved us. When you finally can surrender all that you have and all that you are, you're going to discover the strangest thing, and it is odd. Like it is crazy odd. But it is only when we become a slave to Christ that we will find true freedom. It's only when we become a slave to Christ that we'll truly find freedom. We think that if we deny ourselves, we're going to miss out. But like just the opposite is true. If we don't deny ourselves, we're going to miss out. 
Matthew 19, when Jesus invited this rich young ruler man to sell everything and follow him, his response in verse 22 is this. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Like what? He went away sad because he was rich. Like that don't make no sense. Well, the man didn't get it. Like he didn't get Jesus' point. He went away sad because he was shackled to his wealth. And he certainly wasn't willing to give up that idol. He was not willing to have his heart transformed by Christ, so he goes away sad. Compare that to the farm worker plowing dude in Matthew 13 who sold everything he had, everything he had, to acquire the treasure that he found. He sold everything because that newfound treasure, that newfound the gems and the, and the rubies, it was so worth it. What does the text say about him? He went away with joy. He sold everything he had and he walks away with joy for the treasure that was put before him. So Jesus invites you to deny yourself. He invites you to be a slave. Now as a slave, I want to tell you about my master. My master will provide. He owns every beast in the forest and the cattle on a thousand hills. He can provide every single thing that you need. My master will protect you. He opens his mouth in the wind and the seas, obey him. My master has the power and the authority to forgive sin. If being a I'll hear this, if being a slave to sin has left you broken and bruised and shattered into pieces, my master can weave all of those broken pieces back together into a masterpiece. If you are plain worn out and exhausted, my master gives rest and peace to those who are weary and heavy burdened. If you're filled, and I know that there's a number of folks in this room right now, filled with crippling anxiety. You may be filled with crippling depression, but my master will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, and he will provide you peace. And here's the deal, man. If you have never met, if you've never met him, my hope and my prayer is that something was said today that you were introduced to him, somehow or the other. I would love for you to come to know him today because he will provide all of those things. And so I just want to say this. I want to say, I said a little while ago, you don't have to be perfect. The bar doesn't move. He was perfect for you, right? He was perfect for you. But you do have to repent of the imperfection, I guess, but you have to repent of that sin. And so it's as simple as this. I repent of that sin. I believe uh, uh, that he died on the cross to, to take care of that. I believe that he died on the cross to handle the sin in my life. And I invite him in to live with me forever. And I want to, like, I want to make him my Lord. I want to make him my master. I want him to own me. And look, um, y'all, if you would, close your eyes. Um, maybe bow your heads. And if that is you today, I just want you to, to 
And it's not the words, y'all. It's not the words. It's the heart. But I repent of my sin. I believe you died on the Christ Jesus to save me. And I invite you to save me right now. And I will walk the best way that I can with a, as a flawed man or woman. I will walk the, with you the best way that I can for the rest of my life. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. I want to say this. Whatever you filled in that blank with, uh, we want to move into a little time of response. Whatever you filled in that little blank with, and if y'all could lower the lights, it would be awesome. Um, I want you got an index card in the seat back in front of you. Whatever you are choosing Jesus over today, if you feel led to do this, I want you to write it on that card, and I want you to fold that card in half. Maybe you fold that card in eights. I don't know. Fold that card. Write it down on that card. Fold it up, and I invite you to come lay it at the foot of the cross. And when I say lay it at the foot of the cross, that means lay it there and leave it there, figuratively and literally. Whatever it is that you're choosing Jesus over, leave it at the foot of the cross when he says that he will forgive you and your sin will be as far as the east is from the west, you can't get no further than that, y'all. Don't drag the same junk back to the cross. You're cheapening his grace. You're cheapening his work on that cross, saying that it's not good enough, I need to keep dragging it back. That's not the gospel. That is a false gospel. Bring it up here, leave it here, and roll on down the road, right? Roll on down the road. So if today is the day where you, yeah, you can say that. If today is the day where you are saying yes to that offer of salvation, come down here and, and pray. Our, I want, I'd like to get, if there are elders here, if y'all can come up here and our, some of our prayer team because they would love to, to pray with you. But whatever it is, if you just got a prayer concern, I invite you to the cross. This is a response of in whatever way that you feel like you need to respond at a minimum, I would say write whatever it is on that piece of paper, fold it up and bring it up here. And the, the, the worship team is going to lead us, <clears throat> is going to lead us in another song. Let me pray real quick and I'll turn it over to you. Lord, we love you today. Lord, we are flawed humans. We are flawed people, but we were made in your image. Lord, we were made in your image. Lord, whatever is going on in our lives, whatever junk we need to get rid of, every single one of us, Lord, I pray that we would leave it at your cross. And I trust and I believe that you will comfort us, that you love us more than any person could ever love us. You loved us enough to die for us. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for our church family. Lord, I pray for unity in the body of Christ. And Lord, that doesn't just include our church. That includes every single church on the planet. That there would be unity. That churches would play well together. We are your church, not our church. We're your church. Lord, I pray for the salvation of people that don't know you. Lord, I pray specifically for my mom and dad that they would know you. Lord, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.